0: Because it is not my responsibility to make sure he's doing what he's supposed to do. I am responsible for myself, my actions. I am responsible for allowing him to make his own mistakes without interfering. Yep. I am responsible for handling my anxiety and depression. I am responsible for me. Yes, some of the things that happened within our life were probably the cause of my anxiety and depression, but I'm not going to blame him. It's now my responsibility to fix it. Welcome back, welcome back to another episode of Till the Wheels Fall Off. I'm Paige. And I'm Matt. And I'm going to be talking most of this episode. That's new. <laughs> you typically hear Matt's words of wisdom in his fabulous vocabulary, but it's my turn, and I don't speak anything like him. I'm a dumb it down kind of person and have lousy writing skills and vocabulary. But it's how I roll and you'll get the point.
1: I think you're selling yourself a little short. Yeah,
0: uh, no. And and it might sound like I'm reading occasionally, but I have to tell you that with this episode, I had to do a lot of writing and reflection. So it might come across a little weird occasionally, but just hear me out. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's like close to 20 years worth of documentation kind of thrown into a short episode. So I understand that. Exactly. I think the people will too.
0: Thanks, boo. I appreciate you. <laughs> So Matt shared his story of addiction on our last episode, and I'm going to share my experience today. If there's one thing I'd like for anyone struggling with an addict in their life to come out of the story is to feel empowered. Like you can do anything. I never would have picked the journey I ended up on, but in reality, I did choose it. I could have walked away many times and live a simple life, (laughs) but I always saw something in Matt. I've always been his biggest fan, even when he was at his worst.
1: Thank you. Do
0: you agree with that?
1: (laughs) No, you absolutely did. You absolutely did. I don't know what you saw in me, but I'm grateful that you did. Yeah. I didn't give you a lot of evidence that there would be something better, but you saw stuff in me that I couldn't see in myself. And you continue to.
0: I do. So we're going to take this back to 2001. We were freshmen in high school. I was the girl next door. Matt was the oh-so-charming bad boy. We met at 14 and clicked immediately. He was so freaking sweet, y'all. He had this confidence and like the swagger that was incredible. He played guitar in a band. He was a natural leader. Um, He introduced me to so many different things like music, clothes, ideas, and he always kept me on my toes. I also
1: had blonde tips, (laughs) and I think that was a big selling point.
0: Hell yes. (laughs) He even rolled up his sleeves, which is really funny. But anyway, um, but there were plenty of red flags back in high school. You know, he had a different home life to where I wasn't even allowed to go there at one point. He was always late to school. He got in-building suspension regularly, which was rack back then. Wasn't it rack?
1: Uh, No, it was in building suspension it was are you I sure i think they called it ibs which is really funny oh i thought it was rack i think it was called ibs which cracked me up to no end <laughs> even back then i'm like you guys couldn't have picked a better acronym for this that's true but yeah you got stuck in a room and because you were in trouble yeah. usually for not shaving it was a dress code violation most of the time
0: yes but you should have known better but he had excuses for that too but we'll get into that Still another do. time so <laughs> um his grades were awful to where like he barely graduated what was your GPA?
1: Like 1.2 ish.
0: Yeah, it was crazy. Um, He liked breaking light posts in neighborhoods and like tore up property all the time. Allegedly. (laughs) There's no proof. Um, He had a lot of freedom and my parents really didn't like him at one point, but they helped guide him as much as they could eventually. So I, on the other hand, had great grades. I graduated with honors. I was in the top ten percent of our class. I rarely missed school. Um, I had an after-school job at CC's Pizza. Um, I was active in clubs. I was the German club president. Couldn't tell you a German word except for like "Ich liebe dich." Not bad. Yeah, and I was just—I was just a good girl. So Matt started party- partying a little harder each year. Um, he actually went to school drunk on the last day of our senior year.
1: I forgot about that. I packed a backpack full of Coors Light. Yes, Do you remember did. that? Yeah,
0: I do remember that. You stole it from your dad, I think, because that's what he drank. So I thought it was stupid and cool at the same time. So once we graduated, he started taking pills. I mean, I, he was taking some in high school, I think, but I wasn't really involved sure in that. For sure <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, his temper was starting to get bad and the peer pressure to get me involved was beginning.
1: <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: So I smoked pot for the first time on my 18th birthday at his house. Um, he would occasionally give me a hydrocodone because he could talk me into it like no other. It was crazy what this man could do or this kid could do to get me to do. So one time he even gave me an oxy and it was probably one of the worst experiences I've ever had on a drug. Um, I got so sick and even felt it the next day on my way to work. I was nodding off and feeling super off and never again did I take one of those pills. I was just so easily influenced by him, but I always had opinions on how he was doing things. Um, When we moved out at 18, I worked full time. I went to college in the evenings full-time, so my schedule was super busy, Um, but I ended up dropping out of college because I just, I couldn't handle it. It was a lot of friggin' work. Um, We both partied like college kids do, but his was always extreme. Every day he had to get messed up. I eventually had my first panic attack at around 19 to 20 because I was taking some diet pills that I think he gave me. I don't remember if it was him specifically, but I couldn't handle it. And there were other factors going on in our lives. And I was just starting to lose myself.
1: I don't remember giving you diet pills. Well, I'm not saying I didn't. I just don't remember these very well.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> we moved to his college town a few years later and partying became a norm in our relationship. We drank, smoked, had a hell of a time until it wasn't really fun anymore. I was working full time while he was in school and I had to have some type of structure. So I scaled back on partying.
1: Yeah, you would like just go to bed and leave us idiots up till oh, yeah. two or three. There in the were morning. always
0: people at our house at this point. Like everyone was partying <laughs> until like 4 a.m. And I had to get up at six because it was a long drive to work. So I had to scale it back. Matt was... Smoking, drinking, taking Adderall, shrooms, X, Coke occasionally. And I just sat by and watched. Adderall was by far the worst drug that you took.
1: You hated that stuff. I hated Hated
0: Matt on Adderall. It literally changed his personality and his mood. I mean, he would get like angry and ugly and he wouldn't eat either. And that used to piss me off too, because I'm like, can we please eat some chicken wings or something? And you're like, I'm not hungry. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But, um, I asked him to quit after college and he did, but then he picked it back up once we were getting married. Um, after he finished college, we got engaged and moved to Dallas for our next chapter. I was hoping his college partying style would get better and he'd want structure.
1: For the record, I too was hoping for this.
0: (laughs) Yes. It was always a constant battle within your head. I'm sure. (laughs) For sure. A few months before we got married, there was actually an incident that was almost it for me. I don't know if he remembers this.
1: I remember this. Yeah.
0: He got drunk and he said some really ugly things to me in front of some of our friends and some of my family. Um, I actually snapped. He slept in the car.
1: I don't remember sleeping in the car. You did.
0: You slept in the car. You were trying to prove a point. I re- I just remember this night. I wasn't drunk. You were. Remember? Very. You thought I was drunk. That was the problem. Um, but we made up the next day. He was very good at apologizing and trying to make things right. Like he normalized all of his behavior, but he did promise one day he would be a great man. At one point he started getting back injections. So Matt hurt his back when he was like 18 or something. And it's also kind of in his DNA that he has a bad back. Um, But he would always be sent home with a huge bottle of hydrocodone. I'll never forget these bottles. How many pills were in these bottles?
1: A hundred and eighty.
0: Okay. Yeah. They were huge. Um, there was a point where he asked me to start hiding them and then he would follow my feet to see where I was hiding them.
1: This was what I would do. (laughs) And I
0: didn't find out about this until later.
1: I would, uh, I would tell her, Hey, you have to distribute these to me because I always take too many. I never really led you on to realize how serious it was. Uh -uh. Just, Hey, I just don't want to go through them too quickly. I'm in a lot of pain. You take these. That's how I sold it. And then, I would be in the bedroom, you would walk out of the bedroom, and then I would get on my hands and knees and look under the door and follow your feet to see where you went. And then I would essentially narrow it down to a handful of places you could have hid them based on where you went in the house.
0: Yeah, because I didn't hit him, like, per- hide them perfectly. Oh a- good, I didn't think this guy was going to go snoop for them. You're also
1: a terrible hider of stuff.
0: Oh, that's true. It takes too much effort. But this should have been a red flag, right? This guy's telling me to hide his pills because he can't take them. Like this should totally be a red flag. But I had to pick my battles with Matt.
1: That's interesting because why did you have to pick your battles? Because I would do what?
0: You were blame me or you would spin it. You were mean.
1: King, King gaslighter, undefeated champ. Oh my gosh.
0: Awful, awful. I mean, he had an awful temper. And I was just so insecure that I couldn't handle it. Yeah. Like I couldn't handle bringing things to his attention because patterns showed me that if I were to say something, I was going to be at fault or he was going to talk down to me so low to where I would feel like nothing. Or
1: just spin it. And I would say that, you know, there is no problem to the extent that Mm -hmm. there is a problem. You're the problem. Exactly. And just use, you know, all kinds of scare tactics and gaslighting tactics to make you think that you were crazy. Yeah. Yeah. This is... What I did when I was an addict.
0: Yep. So I was in denial for many years and that is a very comfortable place to be. I remember that actually Matt's counselor told me that denial is a very comfortable comfortable place and I didn't understand it until she said that. I was like, wow, that's that's actually pretty powerful. Um, but here's the thing that I do want people to know that Matt never got physical with me. So he threw things. He loved to throw phones. He probably went through 10 to 15 phones while we were together. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's about right.
0: Um, coffee tables, chairs. There were always holes in the walls.
1: That was an accident. I was practicing a baseball swing with an umbrella, and the handle came off, <laughs> and it stuck in the wall, which was actually kind of funny. It stuck straight in the wall.
0: Even in our apartments, honey, there were like holes in the wall.
1: Probably, yeah.
0: Yeah, you. It was a thing. That issues, man. So he took his angers, at, his anger out on things. Like he would get angry over very small things too like traffic or if something broke in the house you know something that he had to fix um anything that was hard would basically anger you
1: Ooh, right? to this day i still keep uh keyboards like old keyboards around because there's nothing better than smashing a keyboard if you're angry
0: oh my god like remember i used to
1: have a punching bag out you bought me a punching bag for christmas one I year did. I so i could go out that. and just just wail on it. Yeah. But keyboards are the greatest. Like there's nothing more satisfying than smashing a keyboard. It's just fun. Sometimes I just do it for fun. <laughs>
0: okay. Just... And I understand that, but yours is like, okay, I'm pissed off. I'm just going to go. Yeah. Throw I had shit. issues. <laughs> um, but so again, we'd been together for so long that this was, this was normal. Yeah. This was my normal life with him. Um, so once I got pregnant with our first child, it was pretty quickly after we got married, things seemed to get worse. I thought he was going to change. I wanted the perfect family with a present husband who wanted to do all the activities and raise our kids with you know, extended family, but that wasn't the case. Um, he was emotionally unavailable. He always took hours to run errands. He'd say he was going to the store or go take a drive around the lake or grab donuts that were like 30 minutes away. Um, or he'd be playing golf and he lied so much and I, I didn't know. I i trusted him. I thought he was doing these things, but just taking his sweet time um, because I thought there was something wrong with me and that he didn't want to be around. So, <laughs> um, no, he was going to his dealers. Damn it. <laughs> so I was not going to get emotional during this episode, but it does bring up some feelings because it was hard. Um, he was going to his dealer's houses and getting his next fix. And he did this a lot. Um, he also had a lot of random people over at our house, but Matt did what Matt wanted. And it was always about him. He began draining our bank account when we were wanting to buy a house. We barely had enough money to pay rent. And sometimes we had to ask, ask for extensions. Do you remember doing that?
1: Yeah, that was awful.
0: Yeah. It was scary because I worked my ass off and I just wanted a husband who cared for me like I cared for him. I mean, I was I was working a lot. Um, but after our kid was born, the lies just kept happening. He was never home to help. And I honestly didn't trust him with our daughter. Um, it was always scary in the back of my mind when he was watching her.
1: You know, it's like your story and my story are very much alike in a lot of ways. I would say that the one that I can really see and listening and and reading through this with you is you always think there's going to be some event in your life Mm -hmm. that changes things for the better. Like as if by osmosis, when, when you have a kid or when you get married or when you move or when you buy a home that it's going to change you. Yeah. And maybe it does for temporarily, like a really short period of time. But if you don't address the things that are really going on, this stuff just never happens. And it's, you don't know what you don't know. And you don't see these things until you look in the rear view. But I'm reading through this and you were feeling the same way I was feeling. Yep. Like, okay, things are going to get better when we do this. Yeah. And when this happens, it'll get better. Yep. It'll fix itself. And I was thinking the same thing. Like it's, right. at some point, I'm going to find something better than what I'm doing. And I'll just won't do that crap anymore. Right. It's wild.
0: It is wild. And I didn't even connect that. Yeah. Thank it's you. wild.
1: Like I'm reading through this. I'm like, wow, this is very familiar. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, so what happened when Sydney was born? Um, so I, started to gain a lot of weight. I mean, I gained a lot of weight when I was pregnant with her because I was just pretty miserable. (laughs) Um, But after that, I was still gaining weight. And then I was even drinking heavily because that's what we did. Um, I started to begin my journey of detaching with love, but I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. You know, I started going to family functions without him and giving excuses as to why he wasn't there. I was... Kind of starting to live my life without him in a way, but I was still miserable. Um, I was becoming numb and accepting the fact that this is the life that I chose. like I chose a man who didn't give a shit about anyone but himself. I chose a life of anxiety, depression, overindulging and you know single parenting. Someone once told me you picked him.
1: <laughs> you know, back up just a second. I, I remember when you started to detach with love mm-hmm. this was this was near the end of it all. And this was when it started to scare me because it became real in my mind. Like I am going to lose her. Like I can see her being happy without me. She doesn't need me. And as an addict, I can tell you right now, that's one of the scariest things you can do to an addict to start to move on without them.
0: Do you think that that kind of helped click with you? Oh, absolutely. It did.
1: Absolutely. Even though
0: it was like not intentional that that's what I was doing. Yeah,
1: it did. Like it was scaring me because you were showing me that life goes on. I don't need you to live this life that I want. I don't need you. I can do it on my own. And that scared the shit out of me.
0: Ah, oh, dang. <laughs> Detaching
1: with love is seriously powerful for the person doing it yep. and for those that you're showing. Yes. I don't need you right now. I can be happy regardless, with or without you, yeah. job or no job, whatever, I'm going to figure it out.
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah, it was powerful. That is
0: powerful. Okay, so the day that he told me he needed help, Um, I was at my mom's because he was out of town for work and I'm so grateful that my mom was there to help me. I would just go to her house and she would be there to support me or whatnot. Um, I used to have alerts on my phone that showed me when an ATM withdrawal occurred. You still
1: have them, don't you?
0: No, I took them off because they were triggering. (laughs) (laughs) I think, okay, they might be back on again, but I took them off for years after you got sober because it was very triggering for me. Um, he, when he, when he was gone, he took all the money out. Um, I was very, very angry. I was, it was a different kind of angry. I wanted to leave right then and there and I was over and done. But when we got on the phone, he came clean and he said he needed help. And I just decided I'm not going to throw all the years away just yet. It was time to see if his promise to be a good man would finally happen. Rehab was scary. When Matt went to rehab, I was ashamed. I'll be the first to admit it. I've always said that I was very ashamed. You know, my husband was going to rehab. What does this mean? Who did I marry? Is this real life?
1: We're one of those couples Yeah, now. We're, we're one a- of
0: those people. Yeah. Like, what is this? You know, there's a there was a, a stigma attached to rehab. Um, I ended up staying with my mom for a month because Matt owed people money and they knew where we lived. So I packed our valuables and stayed away. I didn't feel safe in my own home without him. Um, But the rehab facility had a family program that really opened my eyes to addiction and how I was sick too. I was codependent. I really don't like that word and we'll tell you why here in a little bit, but I lost my true self and my core values. I allowed him to control me and I found out that I had a part in all of it. I had my own demons. I thought, this is his problem and he needs to fix it. But that was far from the truth.
1: You know, I didn't know about codependency when I got sober either. I thought that once I got sober that it too would fix the issue. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that there it takes two to tango and this yes. relationship between addict and codependent and that they sort of feed on each other. Yeah. I had no clue this yeah. was even a thing. Right. I think that a lot of people are probably listening, maybe hearing this for the first time that you're both sick and you don't realize it. It's not just the person who's obviously sick. Right. It's also the the partner of that person that has a lot of their own issues. And isn't that the last thing you wanted to hear though was that oh you had issues? Oh my
0: gosh. I didn't want to hear that. I right? was like, what are you talking about? I've been doing everything right. This is his problem, not mine.
1: I heard it put one time that the truth will set you free, but at first it's going to piss you off. Yep. And that, I find that to be true anytime I'm ever told hard truths.
0: Yeah. 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 But,
1: yeah, it blew my mind, too. I'm like, wait, no, 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 time out. There's nothing wrong with her. This is my issue. And they were like, you need to let her walk her path. Right. you walk yours. And I'm
0: going to get to that in just a minute. I want to talk about how it was once you finished rehab. So you were in rehab for 30 days. Yeah. Um, And I was hoping that, you know, he was a new man and everything was going to be right in the world. And that was... <sighs> Like, what do you mean so, by
1: that? Like when I got out, the- I thought
0: it was going to be fine. I thought we were going to be old Matt and Paige. that everything was going to be great. He's going to be emotionally available to me and everything was going to be fixed. Yeah. I thought he was going to be fixed. Yeah. So I you thought a that- car
1: to the shop and it gets mm-hmm. out and it's fixed. Right. That and I thought that reason.
0: he could finally put his family first.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: But that's not true. He had to put recovery first. He had to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. He had to go to the outpatient. It was outpatient, right? Yeah. ILP, IOP, um, which was every night. It was, was every y- night?
1: five days a week, I think.
0: Yeah. Five days for like three hours. So yeah, he was not home
1: for 90 days. Not yeah. home.
0: He was always gone. So I was like, okay, drugs consumed him before and now recovery consumes him. The fuck is this about? <laughs> yeah. Like I actually blocked a lot of this time out of my mind because I was processing a lot. I really did. Like I can't think back to honestly. I mean, I went to IOP a couple of times because I had to do my processing there too, but I don't remember much that was going on because I I, I don't know. It was something that I've just completely blocked out in my brain.
1: It's a lot that I put you through. It's so, a lot. it's understandable.
0: Trying to wrap my head around that he has to put recovery first. Now as we're further into recovery. I think it is the most beautiful thing ever. And he doesn't need to put his family first. Recovery has to come first. That can actually be another episode that because we're talk with,
1: about. And it makes sense too. Without that at the top of the pyramid, nothing else is possible. Right. Without recovery, the family's not even possible. Without right. recovery, the job's not even possible. Yep. So recovery does come first. But in, in all actuality, like how many hours a week are dedicated to recovery? It's probably like five hours. Yeah. like time that i spend with other people at meetings yeah now reading, it is
0: and it's beautiful
1: writing doing everything i have to do
0: it's good for you it's growth it's important for me to accept that yeah i think
1: it's important for couples to hear though it's like yeah. in the beginning it is a lot
0: Yeah, it is it a is. lot to
1: adjust but the, once you've got your feet under you it's it's a pretty minimal time commitment to have the whole the rest of your life ahead of you you yeah, know yeah. to essentially be fixed
0: yeah yeah so within the year, we actually had a lot of changes happen, which he wasn't really supposed to do. But I guess he was just... I,
1: <laughs> I spoke with my sponsor on this stuff and I was in a good place to do it. I did not do this stuff without checking with someone. They say in your first year of sobriety, you're not supposed to make major changes like make big purchases or have children. Or get into or relationships or we do did things like, like... all of the above. Yeah, but yeah. like I said, I checked with my sponsor and I had other people hold me accountable that I was in a good place to do these things.
0: Right. So we were able to buy our first house. Ain't
1: that crazy where all that money came from? Yeah, I
0: know, right? We were actually able to (laughs) save money and buy a house. (gasps) Um, I got pregnant with our second. That was not my choice. Oh, come on. That was all him.
1: That's not true.
0: (laughs) I love him to death. But yes, um, I became a stay at home mom and then Matt was working full time. So we were in a really good, really good place for about five years. You know, new home, new kid, new chapter, sober husband. Sounds like a fairy tale, right? I mean, it was great until we weren't okay again. But this time
1: it was me. Which blew my mind. First time I haven't been the cause of a problem in my life. Yep. I was sort of proud. Not gonna lie. <laughs>
0: You're <laughs>
1: <chicken>. <laughs> It was not me this time. Oh my yeah. gosh.
0: Okay, I'm not gonna say anything. All right, I didn't face my demons until they hit really hard about five years after he got sober. So he was working his program, becoming the man he promised to be. I was raising these tiny humans and um, I had a lot of built up resentment in me. That I never dealt with my anxiety and panic attacks came back full force when I was about 31. I mean, I'm talking about daily panic attacks. I was miserable every day. I coped with alcohol and food. I thought something was physically wrong with me and went to the doctor a lot had my head scan. And I even asked Matt to commit me because my attacks were happening daily. Um, I was on I got on medication. I was afraid to work out because I'd have an attack and I fell into a deep depression. He ended up getting me a therapist and I started going every week.
1: Uh, And just to be clear, like I didn't, I didn't like make you see a therapist. I just thought maybe this should help. And then, but you were too panicked. It was a boundary that you put up though. But yeah, I was like, because
0: you did tell me, you said, I can't do this. I I was was in Sydney's room on the phone with you. I remember specifically. And you said, I
1: remember that conversation. I
0: will leave with the kids if you do not get help. You did. You told me. You put a boundary up. And that I was like, oh, how dare you say that to me out of all the shit you put me through, how dare you say that to me.
1: It was coming from a healthy place though. It was It was
0: very healthy place. That's why I, I don't hate you for it. I think it's an I think it's a beautiful thing because look where we are now. You know, I learned how to quit blaming others for my issues. I learned how to mind my own business and work on myself instead of worrying about what the hell he's doing. You know, I never worry too much about him using again because I know that that would be his problem and not mine.
1: That's huge. Say that again.
0: I do not worry too much about him using because I know that that is his problem. It is not mine.
1: That is something that she gets asked about a lot. DMs people will say, well, well, what do you do? Like, do you make sure he's doing what he's supposed to be doing? Do you worry about him relapsing all the time? She truly doesn't. She walks around like. Dude, if you, that's on you. You know what happens if you do. So go ahead. Try me.
0: Right. Because it is not my responsibility to make sure he's doing what he's supposed to do. I am responsible for myself, my actions. I am responsible for allowing him to make his own mistakes without interfering. Yep. I am responsible for handling my anxiety and depression. I am responsible for me. Yes. Some of the things that happened within our life were probably the cause of my anxiety depression, but I'm not going to blame him. It's now my responsibility to fix it.
1: Well, the anxiety depression, this is the thing is that they were always there. Mm -hmm. There were just different catalysts that, that made them appear in your life every day. So whenever you're scared for your finances and things like that, because I was using drugs, that's obviously going to cause some panic attacks and some issues and some anxiety. But then once I got clean and sober and I'm everything I promised you I'd be and more, and you still feel that way. Now you have to start looking within yourself to say, what's yep. really going on in me? Yep. And was this always here? It's a journey you walk and you kind of find out about yourself without, you know, realizing it's like, holy crap. Was there something wrong with me all along? I just didn't realize it. And I just blamed you. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah,
0: it is. But like these last five years have been where I have grown and learned and that I didn't cause his addi- addiction. I can't cure his addiction and I am Definitely not able to control it.
1: The three C's.
0: The three C's. This is something that we've learned and I learned in Al-Anon and it's in AA as well. Um, So I went to Al-Anon a few times. I think it's an amazing program. I really do. I just, um, I got a lot out of my personal therapy. So I, I haven't really gone to many Al-Anon meetings, but I do suggest anybody who's struggling to seek it because they will definitely give you some truth bombs and help you handle whatever you're going through um because we think we can save these people I I thought I could save him you know but it's up to us to take ownership in our own lives and become confident and be willing to grow and change you know our relationship we have been down different paths at different times but we learned a lot from that and now we have balance and we're finally on the same page and we're able to share with others so they're aware of how this you know thing works um Being the spouse of an addict is really hard, but I wouldn't change our journey. I am who I am today because of it. And I have more confidence than I've ever had just by letting go of control and focusing on me. As long as we are willing to accept help and change, we can overcome anything. Mm -hmm. We didn't allow these situations to define us. Had he not gotten sober when he did, I may have either left him or gone down a really dark road myself with depression.
1: I think you were on your way out, though.
0: Yeah, I was. I was pretty close. (laughs) Um, but I learned how to set boundaries to protect myself, to detach with love, to become an emotionally stable person. So thinking that I can only be free and helped if the addict receives help will not work. Our demons will eventually come back to haunt us, even if the loved one is sober. Working on ourselves first is where the healing happens. Yeah. So That's powerful, by the way. It, it really, I, really is. I
1: think this is something that people have needed to hear that have seen us kind of grow and change and watched us go through this. But hearing it from you for the first time is so powerful.
0: It is. So I I kind of want to talk about the signs of a codependent real quick. Um, talk and about the word. I do want to talk about the word. So I, when I first heard that word, I said, I am not codependent. I hate this word. Like they used it all the time in every program that we went into because I thought it meant I had to rely on him for everything like financially and a home everything because I I had my own job I was financially stable I was independent shit I always told myself I'm independent I'm an independent woman yeah
1: I'm way smarter than he is like he needs me what do you mean I'm right right talking about so
0: that word threw me off but let me, let's, what's another term, Matt, that you can think of? I like
1: emotionally reliant. Yes. That's a good one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like to use. E-meshed is emotionally reliant. is E-meshed. a hmm So he, these are just some traits of a codependent person. Um, you provide money to support a loved one's habit. I didn't necessarily do that. We had a joint account. You did. You just didn't know I it. just didn't know. <laughs> That's
1: messed up. Sorry.
0: Denies that there is a problem. I did that big time because I was in denial. I didn't know. I didn't want there to be a problem. Um, Avoids conflict at all costs. I told y'all why I avoided uh, conflicts at all costs. Uh, Feeling responsible for your partner's thoughts, feelings, and actions. Who does that sound like?
1: Yeah, that's a big one. (laughs) Me. Yeah, that's a big one. That was us for sure.
0: Um I I'm an empath. I take on emotions. I take on feelings. I'm a highly sensitive person and I will feel what he feels, but that's not an excuse to be, you know, codependent. So uh, making excuses to cover up their substance abuse, you know, calling in sick for them when they're hungover. I never did that shit. I'm Some sorry. do though. Yeah, I know, but I was like No. Nah, no, you gonna weren't do gonna that. save me there. No. Um saying yes when you want to say no. I did that a lot because I didn't want to cause any friction. Providing care for them when addiction symptoms present physically.
1: Like withdrawal and stuff? I'm assuming that... Yeah, it's got to be like if someone's withdrawing and you just you, you baby them.
0: I mean, I didn't really baby you because I was getting sick of you telling me you had a stomach ache. I'm you like, you never, need to get your ass up and go to work. I never remember getting
1: sympathy for withdrawal no, symptoms. No, it ever. pissed me
0: off because I'm like, there's no way somebody's sick like this. Yeah, get your time. ass like, up, go, and to, go work. to work, quit with this. I'm so tired. Yeah, well, if your ass wasn't up at three a.m. till three a.m., you wouldn't be tired. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Um, putting their needs above your own and neglecting your own self-care needs. That was me. You know, I didn't start eating right and exercising hundred percent until this past year. So I always put your needs above mine, um, turning to drugs or alcohol to cope with the stress or dysfunction of the situation. I told y'all I did start drinking heavily after our daughter was born. So I'm, I'm codependent and I've worked on it, you know, and sometimes Matt and I will get people who say that their situation is different and that their spouse is different and their lives are different. Hear me out. We're all different, right? But we can all change our reality. We were all the same in this. We can, we're in charge of how we react. And it was, it's an excuse. I made excuses for years, but if we can change and grow, so can you.
1: I've heard you don't understand me. Yeah, but I'm different. If you had my job, if you lived where I live, if you had my situation or my parents, then you would understand. I don't want to hear it, man. Uh uh-uh. You are not unique. And if you choose to be unique, I call that terminal uniqueness because you have signed your own death certificate and decided that you are so different from everyone else that nothing will work for you. It's a decision made consciously, Right. terminal uniqueness. Right. You're signing off on the fact that you choose, nothing will work for you. There you go. It's totally different. So yep. I did want to bring up a few questions that you've been asked a ton. And I know that you've asked, you've talked to me about, but you you get to so much you kind of forget. Um, first things first. I, I hate it when he
0: asks me questions on podcasts, but we'll do this.
1: This is how stuff has to get edited <laughs> usually. is because she gets mad at me. He's like, what the hell is that?
0: It's like, you're Trip just coming me at me. Don't come at me, bro. So okay.
1: first of all, I think what's powerful in your story is that you think that as the partner of an addict, that if the addict gets better, then your problems disappear. Mm-hmm. And likewise for me, I thought that drugs and alcohol were my problem. Right. So it makes perfect sense to assume then if I were to just get rid of the drugs and the alcohol, so picture them in a basket and I throw it out the window, I should be better now. Yeah. I should be better. After a week of, after the physical symptoms are gone, I should be better. But what do we find as addicts is that we are, so miserable because we are inept at dealing with life. It's the inability to deal with life on life's terms. That's my problem. Mm -hmm. The insecurities and all that stuff. That's my problem. And likewise, for the codependent, you assume that, okay, if the addict is my problem, if this person would just get sober, all my problems would be fixed. Mm -hmm. And then that person gets sober. And I was sober for five years, Mm -hmm. living all the promises in the program. And I was doing everything I'd ever sworn to you that I would do and yet you were still miserable. I couldn't blame the drugs and alcohol anymore and you couldn't blame me anymore. You nope. have to figure out that stuff is an inside job. Yes. Happiness is an inside job. Yeah. So let's end with a few questions real quick. Some things I think people would generally ask. So what would you tell someone that's wondering, what in the hell do I do with my addict partner? What was the first thing you would tell them to do?
0: You can't do anything to help your addict par- partner.
1: Yeah, deliver the message that You can't control it. You didn't cause it. Yes. It's a big lesson and it's what these people don't want to hear, but it's a fact. It is. It's a fact.
0: You can set up boundaries and you can, it's somewhat ultimatums, not necessarily, but you can set up boundaries and hope that something, you know, clicks. But in reality, you, there's, it's you, like you, you, you just have to take care of yourself.
1: What changes can someone make today to take responsibility for their personal recovery? What would you recommend reading or or what?
0: Um, I always recommend a book called Courage to Change. It's actually an Al-Anon book and it has like daily stories that help you understand the terminology and what you're going through. And it's amazing. It's a great book. You can get it on Amazon.
1: Do you ever follow up with me about what I'm doing to work on my recovery? Nope. Yeah, it's it's super rare. You will throw some really snarky comments sometimes. I will. Like if
0: he's wonky, and I
1: you, you'll say, "When's the last time you went to a meeting?"
0: Yep. If I'm seeing old behavior, because addicts have a certain behavior. If I'm seeing that old behavior, I will question you because I'm like, "Uh, what you doing?" Just to make sure he's not totally wonky.
1: Yeah, I think it's just bringing it to the front of my mind, mm-hmm. and I will say, "Yeah, you're right. I need to get to a meeting."
0: Yeah, yeah. it's been a while since we've done that, though.
1: I've been pretty consistent. Yeah, so. good job, babe. But, um, so what are some, some of the boundaries you built internally and externally to ensure your happiness and survival? What are some of the things that you've done over the years?
0: Oh, uh, not enabling you.
1: That's a big one for a lot of people. It's tough to do. They think, especially after a period of sobriety, like if I were to go to the doctor, like we had, I had an operation, I say operation, uh, injection, epidural injection the other day in the hospital and whatnot. Yeah. Like she's not going to let me walk out of there with a bottle of pills right. and thinking it's going to be different this time. Right. Like You don't enable it. You would certainly say something. Now, if I choose to do that, you have actions for that too. So what would you do if I decided I'm going to, I'm going to ease back into my old ways?
0: No, oh, I'm gone.
1: Yeah. You, you know that
0: that's a boundary that I put up pretty quickly because I spent way too many years with him do using that. I can't do that again. I'm not going to do it again.
1: And something I've told her, this was right after I got clean and sober. It's like if I ever somehow convince you that it's gonna be different this time, and then it's a good idea if I do this, run. Yeah. Run. Yep. Take everything and run. Yep. That means the wheels are coming off.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And some internal boundaries that I do, the wheels are coming off. I just now I got that. Come (laughs) on. God. (laughs) Sorry um so i mind my own business now like i used to always be up in matt's business wondering what the hell he's doing even with like personal stuff and i'm like i just don't get involved with stuff anymore um i won't allow your actions to affect my mood because that was a big deal and i just don't I, I have my own emotions i don't need yours
1: yeah you want to be mad over some dumb stuff have fun with that how's it working for you yeah
0: yeah and one of the biggest things that I've really learned is that I will not do things for you that you can do yourself. So like coming back from the doctor the other day, they give him paperwork and like, they make sure he does all this stuff. And I'm like, he can make sure he does all that stuff because I can't control Matt. He will do what Matt does no matter what I can tell him to sit his ass down and not work out but there are times when he gets up and he does it. That's on him. He's going to have to suffer the consequences, not my
1: responsibility. That's huge though. Yeah. It's huge. I'm not your third kid.
0: Nope.
1: I refuse. <laughs> awesome. So we just recently hit a uh, thousand followers on Instagram, which I thought was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Thank uh, you all. S-
1: small milestone, but a big one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So if you haven't already, please follow us. Please share. Come and say hello. There might be some stickers in it for you.
0: Yes. And if there's something that I didn't cover that you might have questions on, please reach out. I will be happy to answer. Same with Matt.
1: Yeah. Same here. Uh, so check us out on Instagram at Tufo underscore couple. That's T-W-F-O underscore couple on Facebook at Tufo couple. Uh, TikTok as well, right?
0: Yes. I don't know what it is, though.
1: Come on.
0: I'm sorry. It's two couple. Sure.
1: Okay. Two fo couple. <laughs> then we've got a website, www.tufocouple.com, where you can check out some further content. Uh, I think it's been a great series and enlightening, I hope, for a lot of people to see what it's like on the inside, as a lot of people are dealing with this issue. And thank you so much for your powerful testimony. I know this stuff is hard to talk about, but I think it's necessary for others mm-hmm. because. You are a beacon of hope for others, for other women and men in the same position where they've got an addicted spouse, partner, brother, parent, whatever, and to show them that they can recover if they focus on themselves. You can't fix the addict. And I think there's so much power in that message. And so much of that stuff is lost as we try to micromanage the world around us. You have found a way to be happy in spite of all the crap. Yep. And that's, it's incredible. I'm so proud of you. Thank you, Peggy All right. So that wraps it up. Please follow. Check us out on Instagram, uh, Facebook, TikTok, all the things. And until next time, I am Matt.
0: I'm Paige. And we'll see you.
1: Bye.